it's a, a great day to uh, be able to, uh, to pray with somebody who's uh, stepping out in faith, whether it's stepping out uh, to go to Brazil or whether it's stepping across the street uh, to represent the Lord. It's uh, the kingdom of God both near and far, and we're grateful to be a part of the greatest enterprise that this world has ever known. So this morning, we want to welcome and thank all of you for joining us, and I want to ask you this morning that you pray for uh, Nick, uh, who's going to be um, relaunching our uh, young adult ministry, and so as he does this on Sunday evenings, uh, as you have information provided as to when that happens, that if you know anyone who is in between the uh, graduation and the 30-ish, as I've seen, uh, I don't know if you're 30-ish or what you, whether you're 18, uh, Nick is reaching out to all of you, and we want to pray for him that God would bless his efforts here. Amen? And uh, I thank God for him and his heart to step out and to uh, reach people that are largely uh, at times disconnected from what God is doing uh, in the church. You know, not to say that God isn't doing something in their lives, but we'd like to see them more of an active part of what God is doing in the local churches, uh, because there's a place for for them. So this morning, as we we uh, come together, I want to continue to talk about a vision, strategy, and execution. And I know that Christmas is upon us, but uh, I was really thinking about this. And one of the greatest things that we can give as a gift to others is to represent Christ to them, uh, to be people who invest in the. Uh, situations of life that uh, where people are broken and people are hurting, uh, people are in need of uh, a good representation of grace and mercy uh, that we give ourselves. Because uh, you can't give anything more than to give yourself to, to others. And so it's not the material things that sometimes we give uh, as much as it is giving ourselves. You know, you don't have to have a, a lot of money to give of yourself, right? To give your time, uh, to give an investment of your uh, involvement in the lives of others. And so today, as the Lord came to this earth at that advent of his birth, and he, he manifests the presence of God among men, Emmanuel with us, uh, you know, we are called upon to represent the Lord today. And uh, we talked a few weeks back, and I want to say uh, this morning, that I am grateful for all of those who serve with us, and I appreciate uh, Josh, and I appreciate Jeff, and I appreciate uh, Bree, and Kevin, and Remy, and all of those who, uh, Matt, all of those who serve together to make our team effective. We appreciate Diane and the work that she does in the office. We appreciate Lynn and the time that she uh, gives to um, help us in the office as we administrate. Appreciate Crystal and all of those who serve. Uh, Ken Black uh, with our uh, Royal Rangers and all of the people who have a part in the work of God here. There are many. And uh, so I, I know when you begin to name, you begin, uh, you do so at the uh, risk of forgetting. So I'm going to stop there and just say we are grateful for everyone who serves. And we uh, are grateful for the time that's given. We appreciate those who pray for this church. And pray for the work of God because we realize that nothing happens apart from seeking the Lord and waiting upon Him. And uh, so no matter how talented or skilled we might try to be, uh, none of that matters if we are not 
uh, moving in the anointing of his spirit and we're not praying and waiting upon him to move through us, right? We are a a Holy Spirit-dependent movement. Uh, We can't do this without God. Uh, There's nothing in the kingdom of God that can be advanced apart from the working of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, you know, we never can do a Sunday morning service without the Holy Spirit, right? We can do church, but that doesn't mean we've been with the Lord necessarily in the way that He desires us to be. He wants to have an intimacy. He wants to work in your life. He wants whatever He reveals today to touch your heart and to transform something about you and I. Uh, There's never a day that we come to church that God doesn't intend to encourage us and to challenge us. You know, we come to church and the challenges that God places upon us are real. And I believe today the Word of God is one huge, enormous challenge that God has provided, full of promise, uh, full of hope, full of expectation, and uh, we need to embrace that today. So we welcome those who may be uh, connected online. We thank God for all of those who are uh, connected and part of the ministries here at Bethel Um, And on Wednesday, we have our family night services here, and we encourage you to be a part of that. If you're not engaged on Wednesday night, you're not here, you're missing something, uh, because there's a lot of good stuff that's going on every Wednesday night throughout this building and uh, across the grounds. There's something from the youngest to the oldest, and uh, we believe that all of it is helping to disciple and build the kingdom of God. So this morning, and... um, I'm going to ask you if you just join with me in prayer as we open God's Word together. Father, we thank you uh, this morning for, uh, Lord, this house of worship. And, and Father, you, uh, you've made it clear in your Word that uh, your house is a place of prayer, a place of worship. It's a place where the, the, the kingdom of God manifests among us um, the delight and the will of the Father in heaven. It's a place where we are transformed corporately. It's a place where we encourage one another. It's a place where we hear from you collectively that we might go out as one. Lord, we are to go forward one by one, but we are to go together as one. And so, Father, whatever you do here, I pray that you'll strengthen us individually. And, Lord, that you will send us forward as one. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Well, this morning as we uh, look at the Scriptures, we, you remember a, a few weeks back uh, we were talking about um, Nehemiah. Uh, and uh, Nehemiah is one of my favorite characters in Scripture. Jesus is number one, right? He's always number one. Uh, no one's no, There really isn't a comparable um, you know, number two, Jesus stands alone. But Nehemiah was a wonderful man. I love the story of Nehemiah because Nehemiah was a man of, of great passion. He was a man of prayer. He was a man who fasted and waited upon the Lord when, when he heard what had happened in Jerusalem or what had not happened in Jerusalem over the many years where it lay in desolation. We know that um, you know, Ezra had gone back and had done a great work with the, with the temple and such, but there were still some factors that were very much unfinished. And uh, Nehemiah had uh, received the report of those who had come back. Uh, you know, we shared this real quickly because I don't want to go back into the introduction, which I gave you three weeks ago. But uh, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He receives a report from those who had, had come back from Jerusalem, uh, being among those who had returned. And, the, and, and um, 
Nehemiah asked for the, a report on how things were going. And uh, he wasn't given a favorable report. Uh, the walls of the city were still in shambles. And the, the, the walls represent strength and security. You know, there was, those walls were very, very important to the existence of that city. And as long as those walls were lying in ruin, it made uh, them vulnerable. It was a reproach. And uh, as we look at it, you know, Nehemiah grieved. He was very taken by this. He was wrecked by it. You know, it's a good thing sometimes uh, to be wrecked by what we see. You know what I mean by that? Wrecked. That means that it, it doesn't, it's not a, it's not this uh, superficial uh, level of sympathy toward others. It's this great overwhelming sense of the realities that men and women need Jesus. And, our, and without Christ, this world is hopeless. We have to know that. It's absolutely hopeless without Jesus. But in Christ, there is hope afforded to all who will come to Him. And so, church, I'm going to ask you today, you know, I, I, I know sometimes we, we, we tend to get to a place, we come from the position that there's no hope for this world that we live in. And I got to tell you, uh, I believe that we dishonor God many times when we complain and say there's no hope for this world, because number one, you have to realize that you're living in a time that God chose to place you in. You are here because God chose to put you on this earth at this time, and you are a believer who has come to the Lord, and you are here by purpose of God, and you have been given a mission. And God doesn't want ambassadors going forth because that's who you are in Christ. He doesn't want ambassadors going forth with the message that there is no hope and there's no possibility for the world to know what we have known. We really bring reproach upon the gospel when we see nothing but despair and we offer nothing that grants people uh, the expectation that there is something better. You know, as we look at uh, Nehemiah, he was wrecked by what he heard. He, he, went, uh, he got on his face before the Lord. He wept, he fasted, he prayed for days. And uh, his, he was so wrecked that the king took note of his demeanor and knew that there was something deeply wrong with Nehemiah. And we know over the course of time, Nehemiah revealed to him what it was. And Nehemiah prayed unto the Lord, and he asked for favor of God, and God gave him favor uh, with the king, and he gave him favor in receiving the provisions that would be needed, the, the protection and the authority to go forward and to go back to the city of Jerusalem to lead a campaign to rebuild the walls. And so as you look at Nehemiah in chapter 1, you know, I'd like to just uh, make reference to the prayer of Nehemiah. He says in, uh, I believe, verse 5, he says, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. You know, the very first thing that Nehemiah acknowledges is that God's exalted above all and that God is one who keeps his covenant. God is a covenant keeper. God is a promise keeper, right? He doesn't speak words that he doesn't intend to fulfill. And even when man rebels against God, which we are prone to do because that's part of our, that's at the heart of our fallen nature, man rebels against God. Man sins against God. And you know, we, we find humanity often, it's not a far, far reach for man to fall back into that. And, uh, and as we look, God is a God who hates wickedness. He hates 
sin. But God has such a tremendous love for sinners that he made a provision that for all who would come back to him, that God would give them restoration. How many of you here today realize that God gave you restoration through Jesus Christ? You know, that all of us were sinners. There's no one in this building, no one in this room except the church mouse who was not a sinner. Every single one of us were condemned. We don't sit in this church today. We haven't come here. We've not arrived, right? We have been justified. We have been centered in the Lord. But we should never forget where we've come from because when we forget where we've come from, then we begin to live making incessant indictments and prosecuting people for their sin. We declare them to be hopeless. We declare this world to be without remedy. And you know, that is a reproach to the gospel because we are ambassadors of the good news. We are making an appeal to the world to come to Christ because God has given us that assignment and we want to let them know that there is a Savior who can heal your broken life. There is a God who can pull you out of the depths and out of the dumps And God can give you life that you've never known before. You know, so even if we have sinned, and we know we have sinned, and we've rebelled as a nation against God, and we realize that Nehemiah didn't say, Lord, forgive them, for they have sinned. He said, forgive us, for we have sinned. Come on, church. Too often times it's easy for us to separate ourselves from the rest of those who have fallen because, you know, before we came to Christ, all of us were, were really uh, wrecked by sin. And so he says here, I confess that we have sinned against you. And he makes this very personal. He says, yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, the decrees, the regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. And he says here, please remember what you told your servant Moses. He says, if you're unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. And part of that would be fulfilled through the work that Nehemiah was going to do. That God was going to bring a remnant of people back to the city of Jerusalem. And we know that there were those who were given the opportunity to return, and out of two to three million people, I think it was about 50,000 returned, or just a small percentage of those who could. But you know, I believe that, uh, that God's plan is always well served regardless of what the numbers might look like. Because God is going to do a work through those who are where they need to be at the moment that God needs them to be there. Bible says in Proverbs 14.34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And I kept thinking about these two scriptures as I I was thinking about Nehemiah's prayer. Number one, sin is a reproach. As the, as the Bible says, righteousness exalts a nation, and sin is a reproach. And sin is always connected with reproach and shame. It's always attached. It's inseparably connected. You know that. Nothing good attaches itself to sin. 
Sin doesn't have any, any good bedfellows. Uh, sin is always complicit and connected with anything that brings reproach or shame or death. But the Bible says here also in Ephesians 2, 3 through 5, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. How many remember that day before you came to Christ? How many really remember who you were before you came to Christ? You say, well, I was a good person. I just happened to get better because I, I'm going to tell you this with all due respect, that you and I are filthy sinners apart from the grace of God. Don't ever forget that. If you didn't hear it anywhere else, you heard it here today. Apart from Christ, we were filthy, dirty, rotten sinners. You say, well, it's just a little dirty. It doesn't matter. You're still going to hell without Jesus. There are going to be a lot of people, unfortunately, that go to hell who weren't as dirty as other people, but they had never accepted the grace of God. That's a problem. Among all who were once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, and, you know, we we lived that way at one point, and it says, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, now listen to this, but God who is rich in, nobody, anybody know what that says? Mercy. God who is rich in mercy. Come on, church, can you say that word? God is rich in mercy. That means he shows us better than we deserve. You know, no matter how bad we are, God always is willing to afford us better than we deserve. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love. Come on, church, let's get excited about that a little bit, because that's really the only reason you're here. That's the only reason I'm here. Don't think it's because of your pedigree or how nice you were, because that has nothing to do with it. Because if you could save yourself and you could live the life that God wanted you to live on your own, Jesus would have never came and died, and we would never have a communion service as we had this morning. Because we could have done it on our own, and you can't do it on your own, nor can I. And all of those who are living without God... They need to be introduced to what we realize at this point is that God, even though he judges sin, he is rich in mercy. How many know your God is rich in mercy? Mercy triumphed over judgment in your life. And it says, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, when we were dead in trespasses, how many know you were, I was dead in trespass and sin? There's no way to get around it. This isn't, you know, people who talk like when you come to Christ, it's just some kind of subtle change that takes. That is the, the biggest load of bunk I've ever heard in my life, beside the last biggest load of bunk I heard. Because I want to tell you, salvation is not a subtle change. The, uh, you become a new creature in Christ, right? How many understand that? That is important that we know that in Christ we become a new creation, that the old way of life, it, it passes away. And behold, all things become new. And that's important because that's what God wants to do in the world that we look at that is just drowning in the, and immersed in this evil cesspool. God wants to do the same thing for them that he did for you and I. Amen? Well, he says, please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And he says, in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. And so, you know, it had been 
uh, some 70 years since Jerusalem had, uh, you know, had suffered the indignities and the loss uh, that they had experienced as their uh, city was conquered and left destitute. It was, uh, you know, all, it was really about 150 years prior that is when the city was destroyed and it was left destitute, and, and, and 70 years prior, there were some who had gone back, and not much progress had been made during that time with regard to the walls of the city being rebuilt. And so when we think about this, there are people whose lives, they've never known anything but bondage. You know there are kids that are living today who have never heard one Bible story, not one. You know in America, come on church, That's the world that we're living in. There are kids who have never had one prayer prayed over them in their homes. They've never had a parent pray with them, never talked to them about God. And unfortunately, I truly believe there are a lot of Christian homes where there isn't much of that going on either. And that's why so oftentimes the church doesn't look much different than the world. It's because we're not being transformed. You say, that's pretty harsh. Okay, everyone here, be honest with yourself and with God. How many of us take time to pray with our children? How many, time of a, how many of us take time to read the Word of God with our children? How many of us are praying over our, our children and our grandchildren before they walk out the door during the course of a day? Because if you said no, no, and no, that tells you that that's a big part of the problem uh, as to why the world is like it is today. I wanted something yummy today. (laughs) Yeah, I did too. I want to hear from God. I want you to hear this today because church... You and I are not going to reach the world if we're not, dis- if we're not, if we're not building our own families up in Christ. They know, I don't know what you do. I, I, I would commend, I would hope all of us do that. But you understand something. The world is not responsible for teaching your children about marriage, about the sanctity of life. Right? Come on, church. That is your responsibility as a believer and mine to teach our children. And we see a nation where kids are not hearing any of this. But God has placed you in this world. Like he placed Nehemiah as the cupbearer to the king. He was divinely placed where he was for that season and that time. You know, Nehemiah's presence and his position in Babylon was absolutely providential. I want to tell you that, aren't you excited that you have been created for this hour? Do you know that there will never be another lifetime for you to live outside the one you live here other than in eternity with God? But you're not coming back. You're not coming back as a cow or a horse or a bird or another person better looking than what you think you are today. You get one life, just one lifetime. One lifetime, one great opportunity to make a difference in the world that you live in today. That's it. You don't get another one. There's no do-overs. Yesterday is gone. We only have today and whatever God gives us in the future. I recently talked to someone who said, you know, I've been told I have six months to live. And you know, sometimes uh, the realization when I hear that is this, 
is that you may have been told that you have six months to live, but rightly none of us know if we have tomorrow. You know, none of us should assume in this room that we have tomorrow. We have now. We have the opportunity that God has given us in this season. You know, wouldn't it be terrible to intend to, to share the love of Jesus with others? And, and I'm going to start tomorrow, and then God says, you don't have tomorrow. Come on. Today's it. And so as we look at this divine placement, you know, I don't want to insult the power of God's saving grace by saying there's no hope for people, so I'm just going to I'm just going to kind of cover over cover uh, insulate from the world and it's just going to be me and mine. We cannot turn our backs on the world for which Jesus gave his life. Right church? It's not about how good we do church. It's how we are the church. How we live Monday through Saturday. You know, the world doesn't give two hoots what you do here today. I heard a, one of, I heard a speaker say, sometimes we think that the world is impressed. They put on their sign that they had Australian worship at their church. And he said, you know, you know the, the, the reality is most of the people who don't know Christ couldn't care less. Because it's really for the church. And that's okay, it is for the church, but the world is our mission field. The wrecked and the, and the doomed and the hopeless are the ones who need to know Christ. And they live outside the shadow of the steeple in the world that is not present here today. See, Nehemiah was present with the king. He was taken into exile into Babylon, but his heart was among those who were living in shame. How many of us today can say, that's where our hearts are for those that don't know Jesus, that don't know the love of God? You know where it starts? It starts in your neighborhood. I've said this, and it might sound a little blunt, but i got to tell you, if you've never talked to your neighbors and you've lived by them for more than uh, uh, five years, then you, you are, you're failing. You are failing. If you've never introduced yourself to your neighbors, you don't know who they are, you don't... Now, I'm not talking about living in some metropolitan area where there's thousands of people around. I'm just saying our neighborhoods. How can we say we want the world to know Jesus when we haven't invested five minutes with those who live across the street? Those who... Are are you with me yet? All three of you? Uh, I want to just say... um, The wrecked and the dying are all around us. And what we can give them for Christmas is what God has given to us. It's the grace and the mercy and the love and the promises of a life better than we could ever know apart from Him. You know, you remember when the uh, 12 tribes, or the 12 tribes, the 12 spies went into the land that God promised, the land of milk and honey. He promised that to... uh, you know, to Israel, a land flowing with milk and honey. They were promised that. How many know that that was a promise made by God? And when the spies went into the land, you know, uh, they just kind of for, they disregarded what God had already told them. He was going to give them this land, right? So they go into that, into that territory, and they come back, and 10 of them infected the whole nation. 
Oh, we can't do this. It's, it, it, this mission's too big. We can't do this. This is, it's beyond us. We, we look like grasshoppers to them. And you know, in fact, when we look at ourselves in comparison, that's what we feel like. We can't do it. And I want to tell you, Nehemiah was not a we cannot do it kind of guy. Because he prayed, he waited upon God, he was impassioned and emboldened, and he was decisive, he had a vision, God gave him a strategy, and he gave him a plan for putting it into action. I want to say today, God doesn't want a church that goes around saying, oh, we can have church, and it can be the wonderful bless me club, but we can't win this world. Come on, church. You with me? We're not the bless me club. We're the army of God. We are the ambassadors of Christ that have been called by God and sent forth to represent and to plead with the world as though God were pleading through us to come to him because he loves them. I'm in a good, so if you think I'm not, I'm in a wonderful mood. This is God's word. I didn't come to read the newspaper with you. You know, we want this wrecked world to know Christ. Let's stop. You know, I, I, I got to watch myself because I spend a lot of time condemning people at times and prosecuting people. You know what prosecuting is? You know, prosecuting people. We're not prosecutors. We are intercessors. We are, we are somewhat advocates of the, for those who don't know the Lord. We are the people who stand, at, 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 to stand as a, uh, an extension of the grace of God among those who don't know Christ. You know, and the fact of the matter is, uh, sometimes our time would be better spent celebrating the sanctity of life rather than condemning those who have had abortions. I know people who've had abortions who were introduced to the love of God and it changed their lives. If that's not what this is all about, then I'm going to tell you, we're missing it. We condemn those who, uh, and I, I'm there. Sometimes I spend my time condemning people uh, who uh, uh, don't value the sanctity of marriage as God has given it. But, you know, church, are we celebrating, are we living a life that says we celebrate the union of marriage and the goodness of it and the great gift that God has given us in such a way that it's infectious to a world that doesn't know Jesus? Because if we tell them you, it, God made it one man, one woman, then we need to let them see how wonderful it is. Come on, church. You want people who are, we want people who are making decisions about life and death, abortion issues. We need to be in, we, right here, we, me, we need to be investing in people. We have to be putting ourselves out there among people so that they can see that the goodness of God is so far better than the trashy alternatives of the world. You know, Nehemiah, uh, he didn't, Nehemiah didn't throw, oh God, it's over, there's no hope. It was a dire situation. Oh God, it can't do it. You know, that's not to be the disposition of the church today. 
We can do this. Come on, church. Are you ready to get out and to do it? I want you to be so ready when this service is over, not because I've finally stopped, but because you can't wait to get out there and to live Jesus among a world that doesn't know him. You say, who are you to tell? I don't live in an ivory tower. I don't live on a pedestal, but I'm called to pastor here, so I'll say what God's given me. What you do with it is your responsibility. You and I need to be so filled with the vision of God for reaching this world. The idea that the church is defeated by the challenges of this present day is like saying that at the cross, that the cross was the place where Jesus Christ was defeated. And it might have looked like that at the time, but how many know Jesus wasn't defeated at the cross? How many of you are living witnesses that Jesus was not defeated at the cross. We are alive today. We live in Christ. In Him we live, we move, we have our being because Jesus was not defeated at the cross. He just secured for us what we couldn't secure for ourselves that Jesus said it is finished. And when He said it's finished, He didn't say I'm finished. He said it is finished. The work that He had come to do, He did. And today we are the beneficiaries, as you said. Through Christ's death, we have forgiveness of sin and healing of our bodies. And deliverance. So the idea that the church is defeated by the challenges of this present day is like uh, saying that the cross was the place of Christ's defeat. Resurrection power was revealed early on the first day of the week so that the church could live and move and have its existence in the same. A century of failure could not defeat the purposes of God. Nehemiah would not submit to that. You know, it doesn't matter how long it's been this way. It's important for us to know that God can change it. God can change it. How many believe that? God can change. Oh, we need politicians. Yes, we do. Vote for people who have values that you can vote for. Run for office if you feel compelled to do so as a believer to represent. But I want to tell you this. Legislation will not change one person's heart. Not one person's heart will ever be legislated righteous before God. Not one Church, our business is not primarily about the legislation. It's about the manifestation of the presence of God. It's about that manifestation of the presence of God. No legislation will change the heart of a man. Remember when they legalized the Christianity in Rome and they made it the religion of the... How'd that work out? How'd that work out? But I am telling you, be salt, get out into the world, be involved. Nehemiah didn't put his head in the sand. He, he stuck his neck out and he got involved. <clears throat> i just give you a few examples of others who did the same. Uh, Joseph, the, uh, the son of Jacob. Was it? Did I get that right? Yeah, okay. I forgot his relatives. I don't know my own half the time. Genesis 50, 20 says, uh, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people. 
You understand that Nehemiah could have said, oh, why am I here? But he was a trusted counselor to the king. He had been placed in a position where the king listened to him, respected him. And because the king respected him, when Nehemiah shared why his heart was so heavy and he shared his request, he said, yeah. Esther, in the court, as we know. And you know, here the scripture, it says, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This is your day. This is your life. This is your mission time. This is your mission field. You're only getting one life. You understand that. You get the eternal life through Christ better than anything we'll ever know in this side, uh, on this side of it. But you understand, you get one lifetime. And the clock is winding, and it doesn't wind backwards. I will say it's funny how time works. I went online and bought a cheap watch, a few of them. I got this thing. It's as big as the wall clock, and I, I can see it. And I got it for 35 bucks, so I'm not sure how long. But the last one I had, the only way the hands of time stopped moving on that watch is they fell off. I looked at my watch, and the, and the, and the one hand was lying in the watch, But time isn't stopping. It's not slowing down. Paul was arrested at least three times in which he was jailed for five and a half years during his 38-year ministry. You know, and yet Paul recognized that these were opportunities. These were opportunities. He was an ambassador in chains for the sake of the gospel. Church, no matter what it looks like, we can't lose sight of the fact that this world is dying without Christ. And the reason that the world looks so bad, there, there isn't a legislation to fix it. There isn't. And I think we, you know, we got to be very concerned about some of the crazy legislation that's going forward and we need to be heard. But I'm telling you, at the end of the day, legislation in and of itself isn't going to change one person. There's character that answers the call. You know, sometimes it's easier to talk the talk than it is to walk the walk. It's easy to say we need to do this and we need to do that. And the reason we aren't seeing this is because we're not doing that and this and that and this and that and this and that. And you know, the reality is pretty simple. You need to be out there among those who don't know Christ. Investing our lives. The pastor, you. You say that's the pastor's job. Well, if you think that, that's one of your biggest mistakes. My job is here to provide, as a pastor, oversight for the discipleship and equipping people to evangelize the lost. That's why we're doing the things we're doing here. You have to take the material and live it. We presented a vision for this church, and it's not my vision. I, I always understand when people, when they don't agree with your vision, the vision that God's given you, they'll say, you don't need your vision, you need God's vision. Well, let me tell you something. I, I, we, we conferred with him. Come on. And it might not be your thought, but I don't care, because I got to hear his heart. And as a leader for this church, I submit to him because one day I will stand before him and not before you. 
And you will stand before him and not before me. You say, well, what do you mean? I thought we made it to heaven. Well, yeah, we make it to heaven, but there's going to be a judgment seat for believers as well. Not to determine our salvation, but the things that we've done in Christ's name are going to come under scrutiny. It's in the Word. It's in the Scriptures. You can say, well, it doesn't mean that. Yeah, it does mean that. That there is a judgment seat where we stand before the Lord and our motives will be invested and we're saved, but it says we will be saved as those leaping through fire. You don't hear that much because it doesn't fit the narratives that we like. Not good for business. But it's the truth. Acts 6.3 says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. See, character answers the call, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and that's what we need today. Nehemiah's role as the cupbearer as the king was not a position and a responsibility that was given without solid proof of his character. He was a Jew. He was born in Persia during the exile, and he became a cupbearer to the king. He was held in high esteem. The office of the cupbearer was, was well paid in a very influential position. He was trusted. Live your life in such a way that your life will be deemed valuable for the health of your community. You see, Nehemiah's life was deemed valuable to the king for the life of his community because he was a man of godly character. Don't you want to be the person, wouldn't you like to be the person that your boss feels like he can trust or she can trust because you're a person of character, godly character, and they can go to you and they can test things, run things past you because they know you're not a malicious gossip. They know you're not, you're not a loafer, you're not someone that can't be counted on. They know you're a person who lives the life that you profess to know. Nehemiah was that kind of man. The idea that others will open up to us simply because of our messaging without proof would be like saying that people buy a car, an expensive car, without knowing anything about it. It doesn't happen unless you're really crazy. Your life as a believer is great research material for others. It's great. You know, don't, we as Christians can't be telling people, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, right? Isn't that what he said? Follow me as I follow the Lord. If you don't want people to follow you, that's, you know, that's not a good thing. They're, they're not committing to us. They're not worshiping us. But they need to see Christ in you. They need to see the Lord in you. It's not about, don't say, don't look at me. Why would we tell people that? You need what I have. Just don't look at me. Why would they want what you have when you just told them, don't look at me? It's one of the dumbest things I've heard since the last dumbest thing I heard. No, don't, 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 follow, don't follow me like I'm anybody. I'm not anybody, but you know something, wherever my feet set to go, they should be following him. And if I'm following him, here's, here's how dumb that really is. You know, uh, Captain, uh, you know uh, Ken and the other men could say to the boys, hey, when you, when you don't know what you're doing, don't look at us. 
That'd be the dumbest thing that I've ever heard since the other two dumb things I told you about. Don't look at us. We don't know anything. We're not. You know, we invite people not to look at us because here's what the Bible says. Let your light so shine before men that they might see what? Your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Oh, it doesn't really mean I'm tired of hearing people. It doesn't really mean that. It does mean that. It exactly means that. You know, let others see the evidence of your profession in the way you live your life. Nehemiah was that kind of guy. He wasn't up and down, in and out. He was a man consistent. I'm almost done, so if you're wondering, and it's uh, see what time? Oh, it's 11:11, almost time. The truth is not always convenient. You know, it wouldn't have helped Nehemiah had his friends come back and gave him a lie instead of telling him the way it really was. Wouldn't have, made, wouldn't have helped anything. They came back and he said, how is it? And they told him, not good. And you know, I'm going to stand here and tell you today, I'm not going to tell you it's all good out there because it's not good. We live in a fallen world. And the world is just in a trajectory that is going down and down and down and down into darkness. You know, darkness has no bottom. It's just the bottom, bottomless, bottomless, just spiraling down. But you know something? No matter how far it falls, the arm of mercy and grace and redemption can reach it. And church, we have to believe that. And we have to be the hands of God that are reaching people who have fallen down and down and down. It's really sad when you talk to people about God and they say, well, I don't come to church because I'm not good enough. I hope we don't do anything to perpetuate that. You know what I'm saying? I don't want anybody to look at, look at a church, look at Bethel and say, well, I can't go there. I'm not, you know, I'm not where they are. Because you know something? If, that's, if we do project that, then it's because we've forgotten where we were. How many remember when you were born again? You know, all, people say, oh, it happened in my sleep. I don't remember it. I want to tell you, that's crazy. That's absolute hogwash. Oh, it just happened to me because my mom and dad were saved, and I just kind of, you know, I just kind of, you know. People will say to me, I don't believe in conversion, conversion, salvation. I do. Repent and be baptized. Repentance is a step toward conversion. You know, people say, you don't have to, don't have to do that. I'm going to tell you, that's as dumb as the last two things, three things that were done before that. You do need to have a conversion experience. A come to Jesus moment. And the world out there will find healing and rest and, 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 and they will be restored as a result of coming to a God, laying down their sin and accepting the grace of God. You know, the Bible talks about repentance, and we don't hear anything about that today, or sin for the most part, because it doesn't fit the narrative. You know, this is a club. We want everybody to be part of the club. I want to tell you, it's not a club. It's the body of Christ. Come on, church. It's, a, it's attached to the headship of Christ. 
And so when we come to this place, we understand that it is a gracious place. It's not a, it is not a country club, nor is it some unattainable place where no one can come in. It is a place where the doors of mercy swing wide open to those who realize that there apart from Christ is no hope. That sin will destroy and it will kill. But Jesus has come that we can have life. You see, when people tell me you can't talk about these things, it's like it would be like these people coming back to Nehemiah saying, hey, it's all good, don't worry about it. They just need a little therapy. I'm going to tell you, if you have therapy, that's great. But understand this, there's no therapy in all the world that will make you right with God if there's not a commitment to Him. Come on, church. It's like I get people really upset. Maybe you're upset at me today, and that's good because then I know you're, you're not sleeping. Right? They go home angry. Oh, you made me so mad today. I thought he was going to give us this yummy, yummy, and then he got up there and yelled and spit. And Only one of you should be worried about the spit, and it's you. I can't reach further than that. I want to say, you can be catechized or go through catechism, and all you are is a catechized sinner without Christ, if you don't know him. You can be confirmed into the church, and I was at the age of 12. I was confirmed into the Methodist church. But I want to tell you this. If you are not born again, you are just a confirmed sinner. You say, well, I was baptized, and I really, want to st- I really want to poke the bear right now. If you were baptized, and you have not accepted Christ through repentance and faith, you know what you are? You're just a wet sinner. And you know, the good news is God can fix this mess. He can fix the brokenhearted. He can fix those in bondage. He can fix those who are living without hopelessness. But what we have to understand as the church that the world is in that kind of place right now. And that doesn't mean we give up on it. It doesn't mean that we surrender and say we can't do this. Someone asked Tammy to come. That gives you hope. Um, But it means that we recognize what the realities are. Sin is taking life. Jesus gives life. How many of you have, you know, people say, I feel sorry for you. You're a Christian. You don't get to have any fun anymore. You know, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to respond to that. Because it doesn't make sense to someone who doesn't know Christ because they'll say, you know, I can't understand how you get any pleasure out of that kind of life. You know, if you're living a legalistic life, if you're living a life where you don't have any true direction in your life, you don't have that real sense of divine purpose, you don't have a purpose that comes from something greater than you can generate or other people bestow upon you, you don't understand that. But when you come to Christ, you know I have an identity in Christ. I have a purpose in Christ. You know, this morning as we've come to this awesome place and you say, yes, it is, you're finished. The strategy and the execution, he had a vision because he waited on God. He prayed and God bestowed upon him true 
sense of what was happening and what had to be done. And he developed a strategy. And the reason sometimes that blueprints are restored away and unacted upon is either because it's the wrong time, the wrong mindset, the wrong plan, the wrong source, the wrong leadership, the wrong training, the wrong vision. But when things are truly conceived in Christ, it'll work. It always works because he's true to his word, right? He's true to his word. Sometimes uh, we share a vision and it isn't really truly the heart of God. It's our vision for what we think it should be. Nehemiah had a vision and it was from God. God wanted to restore the dignity of a people who had been brought into shame and despair and reproach and who for a hundred years had seen nothing but failure when it came to rebuilding those walls. And he said, we're, we're going. And there's, you read the narrative, it's full. He had a vision that was born in prayer and fasting and waiting upon God and God began to flesh out how that would happen. Sometimes the strategy will take us out of the physical equation. You know, we pray, God, what do you want for my church, for our church? And you know something, if you're honest, sometimes what God God, um, wants is for us to get out of the way. That's what he wants. He just wants us to get out of the way. Not because we're not important or vital to what God's doing. It's just God's going to show us something that, 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 that it really can't be done because of us. It has to be done in Him. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, you know, Gideon led, started out 32,000, lost weight, went down to, I don't know, what was the number, 22,000 perhaps, and then he went to 300. And It wasn't the ones who left because they wanted to go home. It wasn't the ones who left because they weren't prepared. It was the 300 that could never do it in themselves, could never do it. It wasn't about Gideon because God called Gideon and he said, you're a mighty man of valor. But, you know, Gideon wasn't the one who was going to slay all of the enemy and he wasn't going to, God was going to manifest in a miraculous way that would bring the enemy to his knees. In the case of Nehemiah, the people would ultimately give their hands to be involved as directed by God. And Nehemiah was there to administrate and to lead that, to speak into it and to be an example. Whether it was cleaning up or setting forth the design, whether it was building or the security and installation, Everyone was task-focused. Nehemiah 4.6 says, So he built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together as to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Had a mind to work. Church, this isn't a day to have a mind to hide. It's not a day to have a mind to retreat. It's It's a day to have a mind that we are going to take this. That the gates of hell truly cannot prevail against God's church. Can't. Come on, how many of you believe that today? The gates of hell, Hades, whatever you want to call it, cannot prevail against God's church. Cannot, 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 cannot. Hell, you cannot prevail. Come on now. Hell's hit you with its best shot. It hits people with its best shot, and it cannot prevail when God's church moves in him, Christ. 
as one. Nehemiah 6.15, it says, uh, so the wall was finished in, on the 25th day of Elul <coughs> in 52 days. Went from a vision, he had a strategy, and he applied it. Church, today's the day. These hands have to be busy. We've got to be employed. No more time to sit and talk shop. It's no more time to do that. We've got to live this thing daily among people who don't know Christ. We've got to live it daily. And that goes for me. I'm no better than anybody else. I'm telling you what God's speaking into my heart for us today. No more time to sit and talk shop. Time to get employed. How many people are we engaging in this decaying culture who do not know the love of God, who do not know Christ? How many of us are saying, God, I receive your vision. I do. Prayerfully, I wait upon you to show you direction for my personal life. I want a, I want a true north. I want to have a sense of direction in the way I live my life, a sense of purpose. Lord, give me plan. Show me a plan. You see, we're trying to equip people here at Bethel through the different ministries that are taking place. And I want to say, my prayer is that you will bless all of these who give up their time uh, on the pastoral on pastoral team who come and they just have surrendered their time because God sent them here. We love them and we thank God for them. And we are so blessed. You know how many churches uh, that have many more people than what we have would give anything for a team leaders, men and, and, and ladies that are called by God to make a difference in a world that needs Jesus so badly. And they're leaders, they're leaders. And God has sent them and blessed Bethel by sending them here. I got to tell you, uh, God provided a great deal of hope to me when he began to send these folks into this body raise people up within the body. We've got community outreach. We've got a plan. We've got a plan to move forward and to reach our community. We've got discipleship where the word is a priority. Getting the word into the lives of believers is a priority. We've got prayer counseling, helping people to pray through strongholds and to reinforce them in their identities in Christ. We're providing care for those who um, are part of the church and many times those who aren't part of the church. We're speaking into the lives of teens and children. We're ministering to them because we're doing it with a purpose. Come on, church. I want to I thank you for, for jumping on board. And if you're not, you need to get on board because, you know, uh, this is going to be a difference maker for everyone. I ask you to stand with me if you would. And we've got a wonderful worship on Sunday mornings. We come into the house of God. We've got men that work with our boys, Royal Rangers, do a great job. We minister to our seniors. We provide something for everyone in this fellowship. And, you know, I'm excited most of all because we are really looking outward to reach more. 
If you're not involved with New Hope, you can get involved. They know that that, that ministry is there and there are needs for people to be involved and go during the day and help. You know, the Good News Club, there are, there's a need there in the community. And if you want to be a part of that, that, that fits into your time schedule with work and all your personal responsibilities. We want to encourage you. morning as we pray, I, uh, I'm going to share one little story about, uh, you know, when I when I youth pastored in uh, Lancaster for five years I'd been there, but uh, many years ago, actually, many years ago, a lot of things first happened there. A couple things stick out. One time we went into the Water Street Rescue Mission and we were doing services there and it's down, down in Lancaster City. Ministered, preached the word, ministered to the people that were there. Uh, and then there was a man that came up to me after the service and he said, Listen, he said, I, I, That's great that you came in here. He said, But as I look around, he says, All of you um, live in a different world than what these folks are living in. And he says, Are you going to go home and forget about us? Are you going to go home and just get about your lives and think you've done something really nice? I got to tell you, that was 30, um, 30, 30, 37 years ago. And I never forgot it. Never forgot it. It requires an investment. It requires a commitment. Not just a feel-good moment where we, rah, 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 we're going to do it, we're going to do it. We need to have those moments, but then we got to get out and actually follow through. boy, he and a little boy now, I'm not even sure what happened to Jeff, but there was a young boy named Jeff Meckley. A lot of the people we ministered to during that time came out of the brokenness of a, of a uh, the, you know, the city. You know, I don't know if you've been in Lancaster City, but there are certain parts of the city that aren't the kind of thing that you don't have Amish there. You don't have, uh, you don't have all the stuff that you envision. A lot of brokenness, a lot of drugs, a lot of a lot of families that are just absolutely destroyed. And that was 37 years ago. And you know, there there's a few kids that I remember, Angel and Angela and Freddie and Eddie Rivera. You know, uh, these people that uh, Jeff Meckley. Jeff Meckley was a scrawny little kid that uh, came in through the uh, ministries. The, the bus ministries into the church and uh, they really had nothing they had nothing these kids came to church and you know they they had absolutely very little to nothing and you know during the course of time we kind of trained some of the church kids and when I say that church kids kids that had been afforded the blessing of being raised up in the church to kind of take some of the younger ones and uh, show them love show them show them something worthy of uh, showing and you know I, I remember we had gone to uh, Dor- Dorney Park some, no Six Flags I puked I remember it well I'd had a cheeseburger from McDonald's before and uh, I just remember being so sick but I sat on a bench and watched these kids and 
you know, these kids were walking around and little Jeff Meckley was uh, sitting on their shoulders as they walked around the park. And I can guarantee you that kid never received that kind of attention elsewhere. And one of the great things I remember about Jeff is after they had taken him down off their shoulders, uh, they put him in a trash can in love. I said, get him out of there in 20 minutes. But no, he went into that little, uh, but Jeff was a very, he was a precious little boy who just needed someone to say, you know, um, Jesus loves you. He cares about you. It doesn't matter that our worlds are different than you live in. Jesus is one that he works for all of us. I'm going to ask you today, um, how many of you would... um, would say, God, I'm willing to do what you want me to do regardless of where it is. How many How many would dare to say that to the Lord today? God, I, I'm willing to do whatever it is you want me to do wherever you want me to go. You see, I was a, I was a country hick from southwestern PA, and I had been raised in a little white community. Uh, in, you know, it's just a little town of about 33,000 or so. I'd grown up there. And... Uh, you know, the thing was, when I went to Lancaster, I was going to be uh, thrust into places where I, it was not like anything I had ever seen before. And God did a work in my heart that could have only been done had I been in that place during that time. I want to say to you today, are you willing to say, God, I'm going to go. I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. The world's going to hell, and it doesn't matter who throws the lifeline. Somebody needs it. People need a lifeline, and you've got to be willing to get out there and throw it. And if you can't reach them from here, get close enough to throw that lifeline to them. And pull them in and love them. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here are welcome in my life because Lord I am so deficient I am so broken apart from you and Lord in you I am complete and fully furnished to do the work that you've called me to do come on how many need a Holy Spirit fresh baptism I'm not asking you what your doctrinal position is on the baptism I couldn't care less just how many say I want more of the Holy Spirit in my life so that I can be a witness, I can be engaged, I can be bold, I can be a champion for those who have no one. Lord, I praise the name of the Lord, King of glory, King of glory. We give you praise. Thank you for Nehemiah, that Lord, he stepped forward and provided us with an example of what it means to make a difference in a world, in a community that is broken and in living in shame. ones that only talks about how terrible things are. And I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. I'm going to be one of these ones that is out there making a difference somewhere for Christ. People will criticize you for what you do when you step out. But I would rather be criticized for what I'm doing rather than being uh, uh, not doing I just pray for the young people of our church that they'll be turned on to the fact that God is alive and God can make a difference 
Lord, I pray that every one of our leaders in the church will, Lord, we, we want all these different ideas and plans and things and all that's good, but you know what? There's nothing that will take the place of hands that are anointed. That we pray for people and our prayers are effectual because the Holy Spirit is flowing through. We need, we need pastors, we need board members, we need Sunday school teachers, worship leaders, Lord, nursery care people that are full of the Holy Ghost. No substitute for it. Lord, I thank you for Nehemiah. It made a difference in 52 days that affected the history. Lord, we pray for Nick today. I want to pray for Nick. Come on, church. Everybody's going to do this, right? Pray for Nick. You know, he's reaching out. He's daring to reach out to one of the one of the uh, demographics of our of our communities that is often lost somewhere in the in the in the transitions of life. And Lord, we pray for Nick today. We ask in the name of Jesus that you will give him encouragement. I want everyone in the church to be an encouragement to him. To be a prayerful encourager and to believe God. That God is going to reach the precious 18-somethings, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, Lord God, that need uh, to know that they are loved and that there's a purpose and they are meant to be part of something that's alive. And Lord, we pray for our children children. Lord, we thank you for each and every one of them. We pray you'll protect them and keep them. You know, I asked you a question in the beginning, and I know I'm going on. That's what I do. So I want to ask you, I just want to say this to you. And you don't have to tell me anything. I am nobody when it comes to that. People say, well, you are. So I understand that. But you know, in the grand scheme, I'm nobody, apart from who Christ has made. But I'm only telling you this because I, I don't want to just point something, point to something and just leave it that way. But if you're not praying with your children, you're not praying for your grandchildren, your children, you're not remembering them daily in prayer as best you can. Today's a good day to start. If you're not instructing them in the Word and, and teaching them the power of God, showing them the power of God, the love of God, personally through your life. You're not allowing them to see that. They're only hearing what they hear when they go to church and they're having a problem processing how it makes any difference in their lives. But God, they help us to be conduits through which the love of Christ flows, the power of the Holy Spirit flows. Many of you say, these hands are going to be laid upon my children in prayer. I'm going to pray over them. Come on, church, don't get offended at me if you're not doing it. I, I, it's okay, I'm all right if you're offended. But, you know, the thing is, it doesn't have to stay that way. You say, I'm, I'm going to pray over my children. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for them so that they know that prayer is not the last alternative, but it is a ever, ever-present uh, way for us to navigate life. Lord, I pray that our children will not be scripturally illiterate. 
I pray that we'll be opening the scriptures with our kids, with our grandkids, Lord God, that we'll do what we can because, Lord, they need to know. They have, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul said. I believe to Timothy from a child. How did he hear say, I want my children not to be the preyed upon by predators. I don't want them to be convinced that these lies and perversions that are just permeating the air are in any way representation of who God is or His truth. How many want them to know that marriage is a, between a man and a woman is a blessed gift? It's a blessed gift. I want my life to be a celebration of the gift of marriage. I want our lives together to be a representation of the gift of marriage to our children and grandchildren. We want our young men and young ladies to know that there's a value to life. We value life not just when the topic of abortion is raised during an election year, but Lord, every day of the week that we see the value in children and, and infants and toddlers and children and teenagers. And we just demonstrate through Christ, as Christ uses us the value and the love that God has for children. Lord, we just pray there will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this house. Come on. I'm going to close if you agree with me. If you don't, we'll be here all day. I'm just kidding. You won't be, family. But uh, how many here want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? in your life. You want an out, fresh outpouring. You want to stand in the rain of the Spirit. You want to be, you want to just let God soak your heart and mind with the Holy Spirit. Come on. We need more of the Holy Spirit. Now it's not a time to say we can do this without all that stuff. We can't do any of it without it. Need the Holy Spirit. Lord, pour out the Holy Spirit on Bethel. Lord, every person that is right now saying, I want more of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, I want those people to receive what they are asking for. Lord, it's your desire that we receive a, a full measure of what you desire to pour into us. And for those who are saying, God, I want more of you. I want more of your Holy Spirit so that in this one life that you've given me, I can live this life with the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus name. In Jesus name. I know it was a long one today. That's what happens sometimes. But I want you to hear from God yourself because no matter what I say, it only really that's what you allow yourself to hear from God that will make a difference. Tammy, would you lead us in this and then we're going to we're just going to bless you. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.